everyone. This is the Fantastic Women and Where to Find Them podcast, and we are your hosts. I'm Tracy, and I'm joined by Priscilla. Hello. Hi, everyone. We're back. And um, we are here to bring Fantastic Women to your attention for your enjoyment. And uh, we're going to drink cocktails and have some chats, and we hope you're all doing well. And uh, we're really looking forward to this episode. Um, Priscilla, so, do you want to tell them about the about how these episodes work for those of them who are joining for the first time? Yes. Hi, guys. Uh, yes, absolutely. I can do that. Well, this is episode three. And the way that this works is that every episode, um, Tracy and I will start with uh, one woman. Well, she will bring a woman to the table. I will bring a woman into the table. And the person who starts the episode brings a lovely cocktail. In this case, is Tracy's turn. So she will introduce this episode with her cocktail. And after that, it will be my turn to reveal my fantastic woman. Yay! I'm actually so excited every single time because I don't know who you're bringing and you don't know who I'm bringing. Yeah. So they are women from around the world and they're from the past and present. And we just want to just have a chat, talk about them, represent them. And uh, as Priscilla always says, do them justice. Exactly. So I brought the cocktail this time around and it was a bit of an odd one. My so I Priscilla, do you like yours? I I do. I do not know what is this cocktail <laughs> about, but I really, I really like it. I've been having some sips. Again, I did it. I, I make it very strong, so I don't want to get really drunk during the episode, but it's good. I have no idea what was the purpose of the food colorant because Tracy, well, she's going to reveal more about the cocktail in a second. But only thing I can say is that it tastes really good, it's strong, and my tongue is blue at the moment. And that's all you want. Yep. Episode oh, over. Really. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was um, an, an endeavor, let's just say. One of us brings a cocktail, and the cocktail is usually thematically related to that, their person. So I sent Priscilla the recipe and how to make it and she makes it and then we reveal all during the episode. So then she finds out who my woman is and how it's related. And um, it, in this particular case, obviously, we're still at home in our separate homes, consciously uncoupled. Um, so it's kind of difficult to know, A, if we can get the ingredients for the recipe. So we just give yeah. it a go and hope for the best. And B, just like, you know, how you're getting on. We're just sending messages on WhatsApp. So our conversation today was more just around what color is yours? <laughs> that, that's literally it. What color is yours? How does it taste? Yeah, so mine is actually really nice. I'm really surprised. Yours yours from the picture you show me, because obviously we share pictures of how her cocktail looks and how my cocktail looks. Mine looks blue. The Should I reveal it? Or I don't want to do like a spoiler if you're... You want to reveal the color of the well, it's supposed to be black, but exactly. it's, it's it's purple. And so, but like the cocktail isn't doesn't need to be black, but um, yes. So basically, the cocktail I was putting together, I was kind of half making up myself. So that's why it, it got a bit weird. I also posted Priscilla some liquor, and it hasn't arrived in time. So um, Priscilla being the postman, I blame it on the yeah. post. Blame it on others. That is what I say. Exactly. And, Never mind. Um, very dodgy package. So maybe that's why you didn't get it. But, <laughs> you know, if if anyone knows how to, you know, mess with some liquor, it's a Mexican. So yeah. I figured to sell you'd have no butter. So anyway, nope. I, I, I told you that your vodka needs 
so I'll just go through what so the ingredients of the cocktail are vodka, but it has to be Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, fireball, so hot and spicy uh, whiskey. So if any, if you know the fireball is, it's actually I think most people know that. Um, lemon juice and simple syrup. And then there was some food coloring for the simple syrup. Which we so nailed this syrup. time, by the way, with yeah, the simple yeah. syrup. Like, remember the first time I was screwing up, so I decided to use golden syrup. And this time, I'm proud of myself. My simple syrup was just as simple, as nice as it should be. So that's enough. So it was simple and it was a syrup. That is all we need. <laughs> exactly. I always say, like, oh, make this simple syrup in two easy steps. And I struggled last time. It was equal parts water and sugar. And I was like, does equal parts mean volume? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah. So, I bake and I cooked. And I was so afraid this simple syrup was going to turn to praline or something. And I was like, please just be simple syrup. But it worked. It was it was fine. Mm -hmm. I almost burned myself, but it doesn't matter. It's simple syrup. It's quite sweet. The fact that you burned yourself is also almost burned yourself is kind of a cocktail. The uh, so there's food color it was blue, red, and green, and I wanted to make the syrup a black color in my head for a reason. Um, So the drink that so the reason that the vodka was supposed to be Russian is because I'm speaking about a Russian woman today, and uh, the drink that I was endeavoring to create was uh, a Molotov cocktail. Yeah, so like it actually currently exists as a shot and uh, you put like a Wolf I One Proof rum on the top and you light it on fire, blow it out and shoot it. But, and then there's some kind of random cocktails out there as well. But it just, so I decided that like the ingredients would represent things. Okay, so (laughs) bear with me here. Okay, so the lemon juice uh, kind of, um, the vodka is the alcohol. The fireball is like the paraffin. Yeah. Uh, the lemon juice is petrol or gasoline and then I wanted to make the syrup black and sticky like tar so that it would and that's why I wanted it to be black and that's why I said it was okay if it wasn't black <laughs> um, yeah like, like I'm actually using it in this case as a because I'm going to be speaking about protesters so in this case I'm using it as a like a, it's an ins- easily made incendiary device that mm-hmm. protesters can use and yes. it causes a lot of mayhem and you know but I, I actually never knew where the name came from I always wondered so um yeah I just thought it was really interesting that it was like uh, the Finns in world in um world war Two, and uh the Soviets said that their bombing missions over Finland were actually humanitarian food deliveries for their starving neighbors. So the Finns dubbed the Soviet cluster bombs Molotov bread baskets. And then when they made the firebomb to attack the Soviet tanks, they called it the Molotov cocktail to go with their bread yeah. baskets, <laughs> which I actually didn't know. So I was, I was like, oh, that's it. A- I didn't know that to me. That's what I said. I'm going to say yes, but I'm pretty, because uh, sometimes it happens that I would know a bit of that, you know, of, of history regarding to the world wars but this one i was like i i know i have heard that somewhere yeah something to do with soviet and bombs but like i couldn't i didn't realize it was like you know a play on words and bread baskets yeah so that was cool so my my woman that i'm talking about today is actually plural i'm talking about women but they're all the same so they they're all part of my one discussion so um, so I'm going to talk about Pussy Riot today. Oh. Yeah, so I'm very excited because, sure. uh, I don't know, like, 
I watched uh, Pussy Riot's uh, Punk Prayer, the documentary last night, and I've had a few glasses of wine, and I was pumped. Like, to say I was triggered, is that yeah. even, like... So, as you may or may not know, our listeners, you may or may not know... So Pussy Riot are a feminist protest punk rock group, and they were formed in Moscow. In four or five, to up to 11 of them. And they all wear these, like, crazy balaclavas, all luminous colours, like, pink and green and yellow. And they go out and they do these kind of uh, stage provocative kind of performances that are like these guerrilla, unauthorised protests, punk as protest. And uh, they filmed them as music videos, and then they... Put them out there and then because they know I knew Pussy Riot as a band, but I didn't know exactly if it was a musical band or if it was more so much more than that. And I'm glad that you're you know revealing that, yeah. Because like I would have just known them just as their representation, as you were saying. Like, I think they ended up on the cover of Time magazine at one point, Mm. and it was the iconic image of them wearing balaclavas. And I'd seen one or two pieces throughout the years about them. But I hadn't actually looked too deeply into them, and I <laughs> like I had the best time. So they, yeah, they're they um, they identify themselves more as activists and protesters than they do as a band. Mm. They kind of like their performances that they do, you know. So um, so they'll usually break like they might break in somewhere or they'll get up onto a roof somewhere, and they're like you know one of their performances, they were like ripping up like um and throwing feathers at people and screaming at them and you know so there's a lot of performance and you know punk it's a lot of screaming (laughs) so um so and their lyrics are insane (laughs) so uh yeah so they a lot of their themes are around feminism and lgbt rights and stuff like that and then they have a wholehearted opposition to putin so as you might imagine so the authoritarian kind of figure so the so around when I think he said he was going to run again, um, they kind of formed and then they started putting on performances, um, like staged ones around the place. And one of them was um, in Red Square, kind of around 2012, and they like let off smoke bombs and they were screaming this uh, song called like roughly translated in English it's called Putin piss himself and um like it's just like the lyrics like they're they're translated so it's hard to know what the direct kind of meaning of them is but it's kind of like the orthodox church is a cruel penis prescribing patients with conformity and you know basically (laughs) uh, yeah and they talk about masculine hysteria and the government as gang leaders managing any people's brains and you know just like they're you know really 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 strong lyrics and very outspoken and really strong imagery as well and um so like and then they you know they do a lot outside prisons and stuff because people are being detained uh for protesting as well you know and uh so they would uh do protests outside prison centres and in 2012 they gained notoriety which is probably why you know them actually and what it's why I knew them anyway they staged a performance in the Cathedral of Christ Saviour in Moscow and uh, at the time it was condemned as sacrilegious by the clergy as you might imagine mm. and eventually so it was three or four of them got up on the altar and they were screaming their lyrics of their song and uh, they put their um, punk prayer song and uh, one of the core is like roughly translated as like God's shit or shit of the Lord or something. So they were like, 
prostrate on the ground. They were going, Hail Mary, you know, mm-hmm. you're a feminist, please stop Putin kind of thing, help us stop him and um, you know, help us defeat him. So it was kind of directed at more at Putin himself, but it was kind of at the Orthodox uh, clergy and their their support of him and his rise to power. So they up on the altar, the, the, the cathedral's packed, they're up on the altar screaming So um, and putting this performance in. So eventually they're stopped, the church officials come running in and stop it. There's a few videos of it on people's phones, you know, and uh, I really recommend that you look it up. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow. And um, how are they three- still alive, consider they're in Russia? So this is where this is where I was gonna specifically focus on these two girls I was gonna talk about now, but I actually want to talk about them as a whole because I'd like to get your opinion on a few things. So three group members from that protest were arrested and they were charged with hooliganism, and uh, so that's uh, Nadia and Maria, the kind of call her Masha and Katya, and. They, um, there was this big public trial. They arrested around March and they were held without bail until July, until their hearing. And um, in the meantime, this gained a lot of traction. So yeah. the, like, um, so they were held in custody until their trial and they were convicted, they were being convicted of hooliganism motivated by religious hatred. So I then, like, I then watched the uh, a pussy prayer a, a, a punk prayer pussy ride a punk prayer documentary and it like it has footage from the trial or from when they were there and um, being brought into the court and you know some of the stuff they said where they when the journalists had access and stuff and these girls are hardcore you know they're just sitting there stony faces or laughing at people they're telling people that they don't know what they're being charged with you know they ended up so they ended up being sentenced to two years imprisonment in um a penal colony so they were both uh, so two of the girls were sentenced to two three of them were sentenced to two years and two of the girls had to carry it out and one of them katya um got a got off on probation because she hadn't actually taken out her guitar to do anything so technically she was saying she couldn't be uh she didn't transgress anything because she didn't actually right. get a chance to do anything. She's kind of wrestled to the ground before. Um, anything they were they stopped her. Yeah, yeah. So this was this became huge in like the Western world as well. And um, so like Nadia was also a member of Voina. I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's like um, an art group, a provocative art group. And so this didn't really kind of help because obviously you'd imagine there's like a lot of traditional orthodoxy in Russia. And one of her um, art kind of things was when she was like eight months pregnant, she took part in this like um, basically they all had sex in the biology museum and filmed it so they're all completely naked and having sex in the biology museum. She's already been part of a lot of provocative things as you might imagine um, and then Masha flabbergasted. No continue I'm just flabbergasted for everything I have no words so far I'm literally flabbergasted it's insane. Yeah I'm like I'm actually like to be honest I was loving it like I cannot describe what it was like to watch this footage while having a few glasses of wine last night I was just like I had to honestly was living my best life like and I would highly recommend <laughs> that you do it um so really really like just because they were so 
they were just so strong-minded, strong-willed, and they refused to even admit guilt. They refused to plead. They, you know, during the court case, um, Maria was like cross-examining witnesses, and you know, and they were just basically saying, "We don't know what we're being charged with," because one of the biggest issues was how can blasphemy exist in the secular state? You know, so the separate, like. Yeah. I don't know about you and, and Mexico, but I'm sure it's similar in Ireland. It was like the church and state. There's big issues between the connections between those and for a long, long time. And um, it's similar, yeah, they went on trial and then the two, the three of them were convicted and one of them was released on probation. She actually stepped away from the other two, got herself a new lawyer and um, then just kind of basically separated herself from the other two and said, look, I didn't even get a chance to get my guitar. I shouldn't even be like I shouldn't be here I have children blah 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 so they let her out on probation so then there was massive western uproar and criticism of this and um, it was adopted by human rights groups uh, including Amnesty International because they were prisoners of conscience so basically just like it wasn't that they had broken into this place made people feel unsafe and had been screaming on, a, on an altar and made like basically whatever about whether they incited hatred or not against religion it was the how disproportionate the sentence was two years on a penal colony just for essentially a two-minute interruption to um to like so i guess there's a bit of, there's a bit around like you know justified sentence being and it was too harsh there was no plea like isn't that what you said there was no plea bargain allowed yeah they refused to yeah no they refused they said not guilty prosecutors just kept saying that they were trying to incite religious hatred um mm. and they said no look um this was we're, we're saying it's a protest it's a political statement it's a protest more against putin and like say higher ups in the um in the clergy who are supporting him and um that's the protests against him and against the leaders and um, so you know that wasn't accepted and like you know public opinion in Russia was not very sympathetic of them despite it uh, so yeah. different different in the west than it was in Russia um, and then as well I think they're like from what I could see from a lot of what people said they were kind of like this is a place of worship Back in during, say, you know, more Soviet times, this church, like this cathedral, had been demolished, and we weren't allowed to pray. And then now you've come in, and like we finally have that like power to do so again. You know, we finally are allowed to pray again in this yeah. cathedral in our safe space, and you're you're trying to take that away from us, and that's why Putin's, you know, was backed that up as well. So, yeah. um, so they served most of their sentence. They were released in December. In in 2013 so I um um I'm just gonna yeah so they were released in December in 2013 and the you know they they were saying that they would have served out their full sentence um whereas like they were released you know earlier for like you know amnesty or whatever and mm -hmm. really they were saying it's because the winter or the olympics were coming up and he just didn't want, uh, he wants to look kind of magnanimous, I guess. But yeah. um, at this point, they were getting international support from celebrities. Like, I mean, no, and recognition as well. Yeah, they were getting recognition. And Paul McCartney, Bjork, like, there were a few, um, there were a few high profile names at the time who were, you know, out there campaigning for them. So, 
Um, so then at this point, this is where it gets a bit interesting because at this, so they said they wanted to, you know, fill out their, they wanted to complete their sentences, that they did not ask for clemency and that, you know, was offered to them and they said, you know, it, it's probably because um, of the Olympics coming up. So, but then also in the meantime, like he, Putin had signed a bill imposing jail terms and fines for insulting religious feelings in 2013. So, you know, anything Pussy Riot did from now on. So there was like about 11 or 12 members at the time and two of them were imprisoned. And these two were the ones who'd gotten the attention because like they, you know, obviously all the other members of Pussy Riot were just known for their multicolored balaclavas. Whereas these two girls, they'd been given a face essentially. And this, these faces were recognized around yes. the world. So they kind of, this is where it kind of like split a little. And like, this is kind of where I just think it just got really interesting. So Masha and Nadia kind of said that they weren't part of Pussy Riot anymore. And Pussy Riot released a statement saying that they were no longer part of the group. And they, so they don't like, they don't sell tickets to their gigs. You know, it's all freedom of expression. It's all about, you know, uh, railing against a totalitarian regime. Um, it's not about selling their performances as a lot of like Western artists at the time did. So this is where like Nadia and Master, like when they were when they came out and when they were released in 2013, they were like they started working for better conditions for prison inmates, and they took part in the Amnesty International Awareness concert that was on in Brooklyn in 2014. Mm-hmm. So and then Pussy Riot kind of distanced themselves from that. And so the two, so Nadia and Masha were still saying that like they weren't part of the original kind of Pussy Riot uh, band. Like, I hesitate to call them a punk band, but like group, <laughs> a yeah. punk group. But they were still continuing, you know, fighting for what they believed in. And um, but it was kind of a slightly cha- a slight change on the ideology of the original kind of group. So like there's things like um, you know uh, like Pussy Riot do not agree with trademarks. Or they and they 100% will not allow like the the female face to be uncovered because they don't want it to be used as a promotion of goods and services because they feel the female body has been used uh, too much for them before. It's also uh, like a way that anyone who puts on a colorful balaclava and protests, you know, injustices, you are a pussy riot, you know, you are part of them. Yeah. So they didn't really like the kind of the route that Nadia and Masha were taking with you know, almost like uh, trademarking this kind of um, activism. So yeah. um, I actually, I, I love Nadia Masha. I love Pussy Riot, the original group. I actually love both. Um, I like both roots and I understand how like both went. Like they were, they were campaigning tirelessly for their, and like being out there and advocating out there meant that like they, there was international kind of, like they were all looking at Russia and Putin was under pressure. And so the Winter Olympics were on in 2014, and they like they released a vi- they were releasing a video of the song "Putin Will Teach You to Love the Motherland," and um, suddenly they were detained for a theft in a hotel that they were staying in. But lo and behold, they didn't steal anything, and they were later freed. So um, they left the police station singing the song. And then they went to um, video the, the song the next day on the streets um, around the Olympics and they were uh, attacked and beaten by uh, Olympic security guards. Um, oh. So, yeah, so they were... I remember so, that. 
yeah they're like so yeah. like there's like and obviously you know they are you know they went through 2014 they like th- those faces are known Nadia Mash's faces are known they've been attacked they were like they I think there was one time in 2014 you know they were jars of um, lime green dye was thrown at them and covered them and so it got in their eyes and one of them was knocked unconscious from the jar that kind of thing and you know, um, they brought actions to the European Court of Human Rights for their arrest and their detention of the original, the 2012 one, and also over police and action refusal to prosecute of the 2014 attacks. And um, like in 2018 as well, like three band members disappeared between Moscow and Crimea when they were detained by police. And, you know, later on the band tweeted that they were okay. But, you know, so there's been a few things that went on in the meantime that you know brought them into western attention and then what you might remember as well is in july 2018 they uh there was a they did a pitch invasion at the world cup in russia and it was the final game between france and croatia and they invaded the pitch the pitch dressed as police officers and um essentially they were trying to signal to people there like you know you're not going to see real Russia while you're there you're getting this beautiful image and you're not going to see the so they were basically um they were basically protesting human rights abuses in Russia and drawing attention to it um so they were their messages were along the lines of you know free political prisoners stop illegal arrests at public rallies allow political competition and stop fabricating criminal cases so um and then as well, like there's been loads of other things so there's been a bit i think the original group the pussy ride group has slowly but surely just kind of over time lessened their like have have put on less performances but yeah. i think nadia is still um going strong with uh, her kind of like in 2016 she, they released a video under the name pussy ride so i don't know how um, how much that's allowed it's the one that's make america great again isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. i was going to ask you that because i can see her face so i was like i that's when i get confused you know like is she part of the group yeah, or yeah. isn't she part of the group so her face is all the way through it and then there's other people in it who have masks on balaclavas mm-hmm. on and so it gives you the sense that it is the whole pussy ride group but i think from what i can tell it's just her and you know other like random people kind of given the illusion of the group if you know what I mean wearing the ballet yes. classes which that's all you need to do really um I had seen that music video years ago but hadn't actually seen it again until last night and I was like Jesus this is a bit hardcore <laughs> you know uh this dystopian world beat beat being beaten and shame, you know branding and you know being like raped and everything like mad stuff but one of the quotes that I really liked from uh, the uh, one of them at their trial or during the, the the documentary was um the patriarch stands at the altar but a woman should occupy it you want to hear what some of the things that they were saying it was like um we should we should beat them to punish them and then forgive them for what they did and um i was like i like there was some stuff now obviously you're relying on translation because i so there was subtitles and they were speaking in russian but one of them was saying um Pussy is a devious word. It means kitten or vagina. It is best translated as a deranged vagina. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? Yeah, one yeah. of the lads. One of one of the church lads just had that to say. No bother to the camera. And also said another one said the main one is a demon with a brain. He has stubborn lips and a mouth. Oh god. Like 
you want to hear the stuff they were saying like it was it was insane like uh so they were so they were having big pray-offs outside and then also people were protesting on their behalf as well but and uh you know there's a lot of footage of that as well and you can just see them like they're holding up signs and uh there's um yeah they're being uh you know kind of pulled down and stuff now they are climbing up on things and holding up signs and being pulled down from there but um you know so freedom of expression and kind of a regime the hegemony of the regime was kind of to the fore of a lot of their activism and i would recommend the punk prayer documentary um to you and to others i think um i i really it was just an interesting moment in time um and then there's a lot of you know, there's a, like you just Google Pussy Riot or even just put Pussy Riot into YouTube and you'll have a great old time. <laughs> so, oh, there's many so, yeah, there's, images. Just the imagery alone, there's a lot there's a lot to say about that. And like you said, is there um there's freedom of expression because that's what they want at the end of the day. That's I mean, um I know that a lot of the things they do do it in a very aggressive way and I guess it's the ingrained Catholicism is in me when you were, you know, describing what they were doing in that mass at that moment. And then the allegation, well, we were fighting for, you know, for long to have these believe and have a place to pray. And there you're here just just believing in it or, you know, whatever, which I I don't know if that was I mean, I I don't know. I, I just know so few about them. And like I said about them, the only thing I know, it's more about just what happened in the World Cup. I heard about that. And also the imagery of, the you know, the colorful balaclavas. And um, yeah, they always wear like, um, you know, like say a pink tights on a yellow dress mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, like yeah, really I, I, vibrant exactly. colors. That, that's what they, I, a little bit of what I know about them. It's just... um. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it because I I can definitely see why they're doing that. Why are they having that expression, uh, and why it's they do it in a such in with that force of with that in a way aggression. Maybe that's not the for lack of better words. I'm just gonna keep using aggression, uh, but it's just it's it's anger. What ignites them? It's you know the 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 reason of you know being heard and being able to express in a very suppressed society especially with the precedent they have now for so many years and they mm-hmm. just want to be heard and they're just fighting for equal rights not only for them but at the same time for the lgbtqi so i mean i do see where they're coming from yeah and i think as well the obviously you know around those years there was so much like you might remember um when tilda swinton was over there and she flew the kind of the LGBTQ flag and, you know, got away with it, whereas others would have been killed um, yeah. for doing so. Yeah. And uh, I can only, like, I can't even imagine what it's like to grow there, to be part of that community. Yeah. To feel, like, because, I mean, it's pretty much illegal, so. And uh, it's de- there are definitely quite a lot of traditional people who live there. Like you, you go to St. Petersburg and there's a, like a melting pot of different cultures and a bit more open minded. People going to university and, and, you know, learning about the outside world. And then you have like large, large parts of the country that are, you know, kind of say farming or something. And they are definitely, you know, very, all very tra- yeah, very traditional. It's a very patriarchal country Mm. the leader 
we won't even go down that road. Um, oh, yeah. And, um, and they were treated, apparently, according to them, allegedly, they were treated very badly in these essentially colonies that were, they'd been repurposed from when they were gulags. And, uh, you know, um, Masha has a play called Burning Doors. And, you know, it's all about like, you know, prisoners' heads being dumped in water and, you know, dumped in water and, you know, choking to death and, you know, being pulled out at the last minute and a lot of being tortured and that kind of thing. And they said they had for forced gynecological exams every week and this kind of thing. So they, you know, it sounds like they had pretty harsh conditions where they were. And obviously you can't, you can't argue with, you know, you can't r rise up, you can't protest. Um, you know, you get two years from breaking it for just going up to an altar and screaming a few lyrics of the song. And you can only imagine what else happens. And then yeah, there's yeah. also a lot of rumors out there about them and about these two and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, um, and different people trying to take control of their image as well, you know, because as soon as those two women had faces and as soon as everyone knew who Pussy Riot were, there was... You know, one of them was being threatened, you know, going, oh, your child might have to go to social services and stuff, you know, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. You know, you have you've left your child at home while you're out doing all this stuff. So um, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff being, you know, there are a lot more things to be terrified of when you're going to prison over there than there are over here. Yes. Um, and and, you know, so it is a it is a regime. They are protesting their regime. I think they did in a very hardcore way. Um, yes. I think they're fantastic because they brought attention to it and like I like I know that I think anyone who believes that strongly in something and is prepared to like fight first and to put on these artistic kind of performances and draw attention to it I just think like well done because you were doing you were basically um you know risking your life to do so yeah and you can't take you know, you know, you can't, you, you know, you're not just watching it happen. You're getting out there and you're protesting. The rage and just the you guts. Know, yeah, just it's very brave. Like, yeah. and you just said it just a moment ago. I cannot, I cannot imagine myself as well living in that society. They, and like the, the, the system of belief, the government they have, and they re reinforce that idea on you. And there's no truth other than that. And you're not allowed to think uh, to think for yourself. And just this women to have that power on their guts to just go out there and though and have that freedom of ex expression, despite of what could happen to them, which like you just said it yourself happened to them. And it's just those appalling circumstances. And even after that, that didn't stop them to, you know, keep you know, keep, you know, igniting the movement. Um, do you, uh, I just wanted to ask you, uh, maybe if you said it, I, I'm sorry, but um, it, are they, you, you said that the group has been, well, not dismantled, but is it like no, now being a bit more quieter or because yeah. of what happened to these two members or what exactly happened? No, they just, um, I think there's like 11 or 12 of them and they're all heavily involved in a variety of, of like ac activism and you know yeah. it just kind of got harder to get together and then when the new legislation was brought in and you know you could be and making it illegal and from 2013 onwards it kind of put a halt to some of it and then when Nadia and Masha were gaining traction that kind of put a halt to some because people were being mixed up um and as to who was 
you know, doing all of these things mm-hmm. from what I could tell from um like 2015 onwards it's it's kind of Nadia or Nadia and Masha doing pieces um and that's because their faces are too itchy you know? yeah so I don't think there's much coming from them yeah well they I I hope they keep doing it even are Nadia and Masha doing it together or on their own or on their own where when they can they're kind of they've split up now like I say yeah. they're both following different paths and yeah. they were together for a while because they were working for prisoners rights and uh they um and now i think one of them lives in like in the states now and uh new york i think it's nadia lives in the states and is releasing those music videos yeah was the latest that i had heard and then masha was doing the play so the burning doors play so they were but no it's like you know well done to them and yeah, you know, definitely. Keeping strong, keeping like I mean, it's a feminist band group. It's all women, women who have freedom of thought, freedom of expression, very believe hardcore. in it completely, and very hardcore. And you know, well done, and keep going strong. Yeah, absolutely. That was incredible. No, I really hope these women keep doing their fight, and just all I can say is that yeah, you're right. They're really fantastic women. Very hardcore, I will say. So that's Pussy Riot. That's my t- take on them. And I hope you enjoyed listening um, to these fanta- about these fantastic women. And I think it's time for a break. And then we're going to go on to your fantastic woman, Priscilla. I know. And I cannot wait to give you guys my bit. And hopefully you will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Trace. Uh, that was really not what I was expecting. And it was very hardcore, which I really enjoyed. So... Uh, let's go for a really quick break so I can introduce my woman. Okay, see you in a minute. See you in a minute. And we're back from our break that you Hello. didn't know about. We're just having the second round of drinks right now. And mine, I was just telling Trey that mine is really blue. Can you see it from <laughs> the camera? Yeah, wow. Yours is away. Blue. We're just trying to show, we're just trying to look our cocktails at the time. I love that glass. Oh, yours look more black right now, like blackish. Yeah, it's kind of a dark purple, mm. almost when the light shines on it. Perfect. So we're back and I'm going to talk now about my woman. So I know this one, we just heard uh, uh, Trey's um, story about the Pussy Riot movement. And that was very hardcore. Now we're going to go back in time. I was actually really excited about this episode because not only I am bringing a woman, I am bringing a Mexican woman, but not only I am bringing a Mexican woman, I am bringing a woman from my home state, Yucatan, and that makes me really, really happy. So back in 2017, Google was uh, commemorating a day, but not any day, but it was actually going back to the woman that I'm going to talk. Usually I like to talk about women from the past or from the history, and we are actually going to go 139 years. So mm. uh, in 26th of December, Google in, 20, in 2017, sorry, Google commemorate the life of Elvia Carrillo Puerto. So mm. I will be like hugely impressed if you know about her and it's fine if you don't but basically Elvia Carrillo Puerto or also known as the Red Nun 
She was one of the pioneer women in Mexico who fought for women's suffragage. And actually, thanks to her, the movement began in the country for the women to cast their, uh, their votes in the country. Oh, wow. So I'm going to talk about her. And I'm actually really, really happy because uh, obviously not only she's a Mexican woman, but but she is from my hometown. She Well, she's from my home state. She's from another city, neighbor city from mine. And um, when I was trying to do a bit of more research, just to give a bit of a, the reason why I chose her, uh, when I was doing a bit of research to see about women in history, I not only because I'm Mexican, but I feel that it was important to see, you know, what other Mexican women did in history. And she actually, Elvia Carrillo Puerto, one of the 10 most important women in the history of my country. I knew about her brother, Felipe Carrillo Puerto, because he was a very important governor of my state many years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, actually during, uh, yeah, well, actually almost like 100 years ago. Um, but that's because, you know, at the end of the day, he's a man. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. Mexico is still a very patriarchal uh, country, as many known. So anyway, I just, when I started to do a bit more research about, about her, I was really pleased of what I saw, what I learned, that basically Elvia came from a very affluent family back in, like I say, she came, she's from the Yucatan, so she came from a very affluent family in the Yucatan. And when she was at the very early age, when she was only six, is basically when her siblings were starting to bring her to school, she's starting to see the difference between classes, social classes, from the Mayan people at the time and and her class. As I said before, she came from a very affluent, very privileged family. And it's only then when she was that little that she started to see the injustices and the difference between the classes that let's just say that's that kind of like ignited a spark on her. And Mm -hmm. she actually became one of the students of a very renowned poet at that time. Her name was Rita Cetina Gutierrez who actually founded the first secondary school for women in the state of Yucatan. And actually later on that time as well, uh, that school, the name of that school was, uh, it's called Siempre Viva, which actually the the translation will mean always alive or immortal. And this not only was a school, but it was also a feminist movement. And Elvia was part of her, thanks to her teacher. And what I really like about this is that Thanks to her teacher, she was introduced to many things. Not only she learned about the constitution of Mexico, of the country, she was taught in the, the Mayan language, which, as you know, was the original uh, language from my, because uh, you've been to Yucatan, and you know yeah. that you speak another dialect, which is the Mayan, the Maya. So she was, she learned dialect, and but not only the, she was not only brought into the history of the country and mathematics and uh, mechanography at that time, but what I was really, uh, what I was really interested in is that her teacher also gave her a lot of uh, very important feminist feminist texts at that time of the likes of, um, I'm I'm sure you will know this this one is Mary Wollstonecraft. Mm. So she started, uh, you know, learning about Mary Wollstonecraft, Flora Tristan. I don't know Flora Tristan, but I have heard of Victoria Woodhull. Mm-hmm. So she was starting to introduce Elvia to all of this feminist uh, narrative and feminist um, stories. So just for her to know her rights, know you know how valuable women are, that it's not only the patriarchal, patriarchal view of the world, but also that women have a say, women have a right. And if, if 
just for the listeners, if you don't know Mary Wollstonecraft, uh, back in the, I will say the 16th century, she wrote one of the most significant books in the early feminist movement. I mean, at that time, feminist was not really an, a, a word that they will know, but it now to this day, it is known as one of the very first feminine texts. And her track was actually called A Vindication of the Rights of Women. And what I wanted to say about, just to give a little bit about Mary's work, thanks to this um, to this book she wrote, uh, like I just bringing back Elvia, she ignited something in Elvia to write uh, to fight for women's rights. But when I was trying to research a bit of other women who fought for their rights and for the suffrage in their countries, all of them, if you read a bit of their biography, it was thanks to reading about Mary Wollstonecraft's work that they, you know, saw the light and say, no, women have rights. So mm -hmm. it's just incredible that, you know, coming from, you know, from another part of the world to Yucatan at that time in the early 20th century, Elvia was, you know, known about this book and she, and she saw the other side. And I was just really happy to, you know, found, found out about that. Uh, like I said before, she was also known as the Red Nun of Mayab. Mayab is the original name of Yucatan, which is in Maya. And uh, what I also found out is that she formed part of um, a lot of uh, groups, actually, for Mexican women. Uh, she fought for the, their political rights through and after the Mexican Revolution. And she was also part about, um, she was also part of some of the kind of like, first political riots, going back to what you were saying about uh, first of all, the political riots in my state, because not only she was trying to fight for the women's rights, but she was also trying to fight for the, um, the indigenous rights. Because she, like yeah. I said before, when she was very little, she did, uh, she did see the difference between the classes. So that's when she realized, I'm not only going to fight for me and for the rest of the women, of the women, but I'm also going to fight for the unprivileged or for the helpless. And that's the thing I really liked about her, uh, that she never... The feminism yeah. was already intersectional by the sounds of things. Exactly. And, and and at such an early stage, like what I was mentioning about all those leagues or organizations she co-founded or founded, it was only when she was uh, 29 years old. And another thing that I was wow. reading about while she was still in Yucatan, um, she, like I said, she was able to get from her brother. I mentioned that her brother was already involved in a very in a socialist political party at that time. And her brother was able to get for her the constitution of the country in Maya because not only, like I said, she fought for women, but she also fought for the illiterate. She fought for people who couldn't write or read, who couldn't like these are people that they were marginalized because of their race and because of their culture. And because they were indigenous, a lot of those people, they didn't know Spanish. So what she did at that time is that she was able to get a hold of the Mexican constitution, had it translated in Maya and she taught and read that constitution to those women so she, they will understand what they have the rights because the problem is that if they don't have the education how mm. could they know what they deserve how could they know what they could fight for or what they have rights so the fact that she did this and start you know to gather the masses of women she fought a lot about um she was um she always fought like I said, for the um, uh, the unprivileged, for the illiterate, but at the same time, not only fought about on, in the name of them, but she also tried to uh, include them in their work. She tried always to 
give them the information, give them the tools. Hence the reason why she formed uh, those organizations. One of them was called the League of Feminist Resistance. And the purpose of that one was to call in all women of the state of Yucatan to participate and form organizations to support each other in topics of, of extreme importance at the time. And the thing I like, I know that I'm talking about her because she was one of the pioneers who led to the women's suffrage in my country. But not only she fought, she fought for the right to vote, she also fought for the right of the countrymen, women, to fight for their land. Because at that time, women were not allowed to be owners of their land, even though they were part of the household, only yeah. men. So she fought for the women to also have the right for the land, the, her right to vote, the right for hygiene, the right for education. And most importantly, the thing that I was so shocked to find out at that time in the early 20th century in Mexico, the right of birth control. She really fought for the right for birth control, the right of, uh, you know, sexual power. And one of the phrases yeah. that I saw in the text, by the way, the, this information that I got, even though that was on Google, I did this research in two articles in um, two news, Mexican newspaper, one of them called El País of the Country. But most of the information that I gather from her comes from the Senate, from the, from okay. a government website. So you can tell it's official information. Mm -hmm. And what I like is one of the I, I one of the sorry quotes or sayings that she has was the right of people to live their sexuality in a free and playful way here or beyond reproductive reproductive purposes. That was that even that right now is still powerful. It that's still very modern. Exactly. Wow. I am really what happy when I, when I was reading about her, I was so impressed that this she was born in 1878 and she died in, in the late 60s when she was wow. 90. But she was having all already all of these ideas when she was like in her early 30s. And she already believed in sexual power and, you know, like like I said, beyond here or beyond reproductive purposes, she was fighting for basically the woman's freedom, the woman's right and i yeah. she did actually quite a lot like like i said she um co-founded those organizations to fight for women in the country women in the household with single mothers as well was trying to get this the, the last league like i said the league of feminist resistance was also fought for calling all the women for the state the whole purpose of this is to not only protect the uh the marginalized society and uh, but at the same time uh, fight for the rights for single mothers and helpless minors mm -hmm. and that was very important for her that really resonated for her and the I, I think you you, you you were dead right when you say she was really way ahead of her times because like I said she was born in 1878 and she already had those in mind uh, those ideas yeah, yeah. Wow. she had female agency and also she was already fighting for not only her you know her fellow the fellow women of her country or her state, but also for the, she noticed as a, at a very young age how people were marginalized or the difference between her her social status and others. And I was really happy to hear all the things she did, all the things she fought. Uh, she will go basically from one side of the the state to another to like call call out all women just to let them be informed, just to like. Round, gather as many women as she could just to have, the, you know, spread the message and let them resonate with that. And 
um, it, I, I just thought it was really important at that time, especially because at that time, basically, and in other parts in the world as well, women were yeah. were were looked as second class citizens. How crazy is that when you when you think that we're in 2020? Like I think you mentioned that in another episode, uh, we were we're still fighting for equal pay, we're still fighting for you know many things, but at that time they were still considered second class citizens. I'm really proud to you know have this woman that not only she like I said before she's Latin, she's Mexican, but importantly mm. she is from I say she's where I'm from, and actually it was in 19, 1919 when she went to Mexico City, uh, she there actually created another league. Uh, that league was actually named after her teacher. And that league was wow. with the, in the, inten the intention of achieving the inclusion of the debate on the female vote in the le legisl legislative chambers. Unfortunately, at the time, even though she had this narrative, she had this, she had in a way power because she already created movements in her state. She was trying to do the same yeah. thing in Mexico City. Uh, but unfortunately, at that time, she was ignored. She was uh, the, the most important, the most sad. Uh, the, I think the, the thing that disappointed me a bit is that she was part of the Socialist Party at that time. And even mm -hmm. her fellow socialists from her party discouraged her. Like when she went to Mexico City to bring her agenda to have that debate, that inclusion to finally fight for women's suffrage, suffrage her fellow socialists just back her down they they didn't did they completely ignore her but what i really like that even though that happened in 1919 she never gave up she went back to uh, yucatan um she kept fighting for the women she kept fighting for the countrymen and she was able to form another organization which was called the feminist guiding league that actually later on that was transformed into the league of female action that's well the translation in english and that mm. is basically what maintained maintain the fight for women's suffrage. Um, like I said before, she kept going from one part of the state to another to keep gathering people, keep going basically like a true politician at the end of the day, going door to door, trying to spread out the world, have the women to communicate, know what your rights are, try to make them, you know, fight for education, their sexual power and you know, she actually was the first, uh, what, uh, I don't know what, oh yeah, uh, sorry, I was trying to, in my mind, to get the, the word in English. She was the first female deputy in the country. A deputy of? Of the state. Oh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a chamber, see, the way that is, the, I hope I'm, I, I know the the system, the political system in my country, I know how it is in Spanish, but the yeah. way that it will be the translation in English is that there is a deputy of chambers to this day for, that is divided in the political parties. So she, back in that time, she was the first female deputy uh, in that chamber. Um, the thing, unfortunately, that happened is that she was able to be part of that thanks to her brother, because at that time her brother became the governor of the state. Um, mm. You could tell that there might be, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt because from what I have read so far, you can tell that her intentions were always pure. They were always for the fight for others. Uh, so I'm just going to bypass that. Just I'm trying not to think that, mm, sounds like a bit of nepotism. However, mm -hmm. um, in the way that she tried to do, she only was trying to fight for the female power. So when she went back to Yucatan and her brother was uh, the government of Yucatan at that time, um, she was able to be 
um, you know, she was able to become um, state deputy among other two women. So they were the first women to be part of the chamber so, for kind of like Congress in a way. So she yeah. was she was she was able to be part of that among two other other women. Unfortunately, at that time, her brother was assassinated. Uh, her, bro her brother died and she started getting a lot of um, uh, death threats. She was getting a lot of death threats. They were trying to back her down. And unfortunately, she no she no longer could be safe in her state. So thanks to at that time, uh, there was um, thanks to the Mexican president at that time, which I believe was Plutarco Elias Calles. Thanks to him, he was able to kind of like have asylum, but in Mexico City. So she went back to Mexico City because she, they can no longer protect her. She she yeah. was really risking her life. Um, and, and it's so crazy because uh, she. They, she it was she was risking her life because she was only looking for a fight for women women rights, and isn't it ludicrous just to think that that was the reason that she was she fled the the state? And why was there like who assassinated her brother? Like what was like not what was the reason he was assassinated? I'm not gonna victim blame. I mean, uh, like what faction had him assassinated? I unfortunately don't have that information. But was it the same people then who went after her as well? I will say so. I will say mm. so. From what I read, I knew that that government, I that that was part of my the actually, I I am ashamed to say that that was actually part of my story, my uh, Yucatan story uh, back when I was in secondary school. I didn't I did know that her boss <laughs> was assassin. I don't not I didn't know. I ne I never heard about her before. Maybe. They, there will have been, you know, some footnotes in history about her, but I highly doubt they were given more information than what I just found out right now. And that makes me feel a bit disappointed. Um, however, I did know the brother was assassin. That was that was very like the, that that was very known even at that time. I mean, even when I was learning history of my state. From what I read is that she she uh, it says after the assassination of her brother, she was literally forced to abandon everything she was doing because of all the death threats uh, against her and her fellow uh, socialist women. So uh -huh. uh, the the sad thing is that that time they the, it wasn't actually 1923, 1923 when he died, but also 1923 is when they fought for her to be part in the Chamber of Deputies. And also at the same time, she was able to cast women votes for local elections, which was something great. They were yeah. starting to initiate that movement in the state, which was fantastic. But unfortunately, after that, what happened with her brother, her brother died, the death threats, uh, she fled the state. Uh, I It doesn't say about the other women. I want to assume the other women also fled the state. And because of that, unfortunately, everything that she was fighting or already building for women's rights and women's votes in Yucatan was completely avoided. So this is a dramatic twist altogether. Yeah, it was really sad when I was reading that. Uh, however, even when when that happened, she never fought like even when I was when she was in Mexico City, she kept doing, you know, working, uh, working in the organizations that she was fighting for. And going back uh, a couple years, well, actually, two decades later, almost, uh, it was thanks to not only the efforts of her, of the organizations that she started, but um, and thanks to thousands of women who were part of that movement 
that finally in 1953, uh, the president of that time, which was Adolfo Ruiz Cortines, he was the ones who proposed personally the initiative to change the uh, 34 article, the 34 article, the constitutional article to finally recognize the right for the women's to vote in all elections, not only municipal elections, local elections, mm. state elections, but national elections. So it was, it was really thanks to her that all that movement back in the she early, started, yeah, yeah, she, she started. started. She was really the, the pioneer because I was trying to read. There were other Mexican women who I definitely going to talk to them later in other episodes. But what I liked about her, again, it's not only because she's from my state, but it, she was from my state. But at the same time, she was the pioneer. She was the first uh, woman um, elected in an official in a government position well, as a deputy. But she was the one who pioneered and formed all these organizations for women, for their sexual liberation, for their education, for the Mayan culture. And she did all that. She helped to ignite the power. And there were some historians from what I read in the article as well. It was saying that it was her movement and what she fought and believed. Um, there was this, uh, like I said, there was this riot happening in Yucatan uh, at that time that there are a lot of historians that they debate that that was the first sparkle to, to ignite the Mexican Revolution. So um, I got to say it was also thanks to her that all of those uh, things happening. So I, I'm, I'm really happy. I know that it's just a very short story, but I'm really happy to, you know. I am riveted. Yeah. Like, bring her riveted back. Riveted by this. And then I'm also thinking, like, League of Action is another word, another term that Pussy Riot would have used for their own stuff. They always said you have to be a person of action. You yeah. have to do something. It's mad, isn't it? Like, that, you know, what was it, 100 years later? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, like, you have um, women who are still trying to fight and to still try to have action. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Why was she called a red nun? From what I read, it was very interesting. I was also, why is it the red nun? It was the red, the, the literal translation in English is the red nun. Mm -hmm. Or in Spanish will be la monja roja del mayab, which is the red nun of mayab. Mayab, like I said, is, is the original yeah. like, uh, name of Yucatan. I, I really don't know from... In one of the articles, he was saying, oh, she was called red nun, red nun because she was fighting for women's rights. I was like... I mean, yes, that's fantastic, but why Red Nun? Like, I, I just think I, it does sound pretty hardcore, though. I like it. I know, I loved it. That's why I like drawn. It was I, I was drawn to her stories. Like, why the Red Nun? Indeed, yeah. This she was also known the Red Nun as she formed part of the group of Mexican women women who fought for their political rights through and after the Mexican Revolution. She's obviously a very caring person, especially if she was like trying to engage with the systems of power that affect those marginalized. Absolutely. Um, in society. I, so I wanna I wanna believe it's something that of recognition of what she fought or what she fought against, you know? Mm. Or, did she get did she ever get married? She did actually. I was gonna okay. say that. Uh, she actually get she was married really early. She was married when she was only thirteen. It was the nineteenth century at yeah. that time. She yeah. so she was married when she was thirteen. However, from what I was reading in there is that she she saw marriage as an escape because um, when I was reading when she was very little, she was uh, she was taught uh, literature, poetry, music. She was very bright, as as yeah. I can imagine from everything she founded. At a very young age, she started. She didn't believe really in the 
in say in their in their gender role. So in one of the articles that I what I was reading from the text is that she she saw marriage as an escape. So which is weird, but anyway, she saw marriage as an escape. So she was married at thirteen um, to a to a teacher, and then I don't want to even imagine how old the teacher was. So let, I'm not gonna go there. So she um, she was married at thirteen, but then she became a widow when she was twenty. So most of her life she was a widow anyway i don't think I, I i don't think she was married again maybe she was but from what i i read it doesn't it, it doesn't say it, it it's not in the text and honestly why wouldn't it because her whole story it's about her and about the fight she did for other women the thing that i really like about this mm. is that everything that i have read from her i i know i tried to summarize as much as i can in this but what I the most the thing that it kept being repetitive in this text and another and in the other the other one I even have from Google is that she was always fighting for women inclusion but supporting other women so she was always propelling the idea of women need to be together women need yeah. to be women women needs to support other women so hence the reason why she wanted to fight for education because a woman with words is a woman with power and a, a woman with agency so. Mm -hmm. I'm really, I'm really, really happy. I'm really, really proud. And I just wanted to, like I said, Mexico fought for their uh, women's suffrage uh, in 1953. That's when the women started uh, casting a vote. I just Google as well, just to have as a comparison, uh, all, well, I'm not going to say all the countries, but just, an, uh, just, just as a, you know, as a side note, uh, women got the right to vote in, for instance, in Ireland, it was actually 1918. Ireland was mm -hmm. one of the early, like, the, there, there's a list of the first 15 countries that gave women the right to vote. Just to have it in perspective, Ireland was in 1918, Mexico was in 1953, France was in 1944, mm -hmm. um, Canada, I believe, was in 1917. But if you see the difference from other countries, for instance, Afghanistan was in 1963. Um, okay. Saudi Arabia was 2015. And I believe that's the latest one. Um, but there are other countries, what I was reading as well, is that there are other countries that, for instance, they had their vote. For instance, North Korea was in 1946. But because North Korea is a single party state and only one candidate, uh, there's no ballot really yeah, yeah I mean I mean yeah sure they have the right to vote but what are they voting for uh the same for the kingdom of Laos it's a one-party state 1958 uh Luxembourg was 1919 Lithuania 1918 Liechtenstein it was 1984 uh oh my God. It's just to just to put in perspective the difference between some countries being earlier than others. Morocco was 1963. Uh, Mozambique, People's Republic of Mozambique was 1975. Namibia was 1989, but that was up on its independence. Uh, Palestine was 1996. Qatar was 1997. Uh, like I said, Saudi, Saudi Arabia was 2015. And it's actually in December 2015, women were first allowed to vote and run for office. Suffrage for both men and women is limited to most municipal elections. I just thought it was interesting to, you know, have as a perspective. I was looking up, like, when did Russia get, when were women awarded the right to vote in Russia? And it was like 1917, 1918, similar to other countries. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, 
um, they were allowed like vote in local government kind of thing, but there were many incidences in villages and you know, in one of them, the men cancelled the elections because women were participating in them. And when the elections were held again, women were not allowed to take part. So, and in some regions, women were not allowed to go anywhere near the polls. So even though technically they had the right, they were unable to do so. So yeah, it's like, oh, she was so interesting. I'd never even heard of her. So I am, um, I love stories like that, that you can connect to your hometown and yeah. women who were who came before you and that's why you're sitting here today you know absolutely um but definitely this is this was the red nun elvia carrillo puerto and i want to you know cheers to her cheers to the pussy riots for you know for what they're doing and uh let's you know keep with the keep with the fight keep with the movement and i think the most important thing it is that a vote of both you know the pussy riot and in this case uh, Elvia, what they were doing is fight for the same things, fight for freedom, fight for their expression, fight for education. Well, one of them more different, of course, but at the end of the day, they were, in a way, if you think about it, they were yeah. fighting for the same thing. <laughs> Cheers to them, indeed, yeah. So, I don't know yeah, if you want to have other comments or anything else you would like to add? No, I think like, I've so much that I want to go off and think about Elvia. There was... Uh, Rita, Rita or Rita Cetina Gutierrez. She was actually, Lovely. like I said, she founded the first secondary school. So I need to also acknowledge her because thanks to her, she opened the eyes of Elvia because Elvia had the curiosity, but she didn't have the power of education that Rita gave her. And thanks to Rita, Elvia was able to, you know, found all these organizations with other women, um, with countrymen, with, uh, you know, with pe marginalized people, like I said, with and the indigenous tribes at that time. So, yeah, I gotta say thanks to Reed as well. Here's to all those women. Absolutely. I have a, I have one last question. If you were a cocktail, what would you be? Oh God, I that's a I. You know what? I will be a Bloody Mary. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say margarita. No, you know, uh, I mean, I love tequila, but no, I will definitely be a Bloody Mary first because my first name is Mary, and second of all. <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna say I love blood. No, it's just yeah, I love your new red. None. Yes. Probably be a Long Island, just like a weird mix, and just and throw strong. some soda. Yeah, Long Island, strong as hell. It's like five to seven alcohols, but like or something, you know. So. So this has been fantastic. Women and where to find them podcast. This has been Priscilla and my co-host Trey. If you want to listen to more fantastic women, uh, please stay tuned. And to if you want to email us back or you have any story of a fantastic woman that we haven't talked about it or you would like to uh, listen to, please email us at fantasticwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. See you in the next time. This is Tracy and Priscilla, over and out.